Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast. Three women, one podcast, and a whole load of badass. I'm Harriet Minter, and I'm joined by Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell. And in this week's show, we're tackling the subject of miscarriage with two incredibly brave women. Plus, we speak to the woman who is going to transform how we all invest our money. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Now, did you know nearly one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage? And yet it's not something we really ever talk about. On the phone with us now, we have Nikki Armitage, who had a miscarriage at 10 weeks. Nikki, thank you so much for talking to us about this tonight. Hello, ladies. Hello. Yeah, absolutely. And um, thank you for having me. I think this is such an important topic to talk about. So I'm very happy to be here. So do you want to tell us a little bit about your experience of miscarriage? Um, yes. So um, in, I think it was March 2017, I was 10 weeks pregnant and I was living in LA at the time. And I was actually on my way to this, um, it was like a women's group for pregnant women who were becoming mothers for the first time. And on the way there, I found some blood um, in the toilet. And uh, one of my friends um, said that she bled a lot throughout her pregnancy. And I was like, okay, maybe it's okay. And but when I was sort of sitting in this circle of pregnant women, I just had this sort of strong sense that I'd miscarried. And um, I went to the doctor's the next day and he told me in quite a cold, matter-of-fact manner that I'd miscarried and it was twins. And um, I had three options of getting rid of um, the fetuses. Um, and so I took an option, which was to take some tablets that actually forced contractions and... Um, it was one of the most painful experiences I've actually had. It was comparable to labor. It was so painful and he didn't actually sort of explain that. Um, and Were yeah, you in I, hospital when this happened or did they just give you the pills and tell you to go on your way? Yeah, that was it. And um, he said, you might want to take these painkillers. <laughs> um, and it was just, it was just so, it was the saddest thing seeing, you know, actually passing the fetal sex down the toilet and um just the, the emotional like uh, you know just being told that i had a miscarriage was just the most saddest piece of news i've ever received and and then on top of that the pain of, of getting rid of them in that way was um quite traumatic actually um yeah did you have any support with you at the time were you my husband tom um he 
was with me um, and he was amazing and um, he was up with me all night. Um, but, you know, I, um, I'm part of, so I, I run a coaching company called Electric Women and I have um, a community of women where we, we all sort of share openly about real experiences with each other. And so I shared in this group that it's a very, it's a very private group and I feel it's a very supportive group. And, um, and I had this flurry, like flood of people come back to me saying, you know, me too, I've had a miscarriage because I actually didn't know anyone who'd had a miscarriage. Yeah. My family and friends all seemingly had, um, you know, no, no problems in that way. And um, so I felt this incredible amount of um, almost like shame or failure. And, and so I, I had to reach out to this community to say, like, help. <laughs> Um, and I had such amazing support from that community. But other than that, um, there was no other place for me that I knew to get any support from. You said you know that nobody at that point, as far as you were, nobody in your family, none of your friends had had any problems. It all seemingly been very straightforward for everybody else. Yeah. Do you now know that, is that the case, or was it just that nobody had talked about it? No one had talked about it, and that that's the most frustrating thing um, because you feel so alone in such an important experience of loss, and and you think you're you know like there's so many emotions that you're feeling is you know the grief of, of having had life and then death in your body, and and the, the hope of children being taken away in in a second, and um, and yeah, I just it um, no one talked about it, and and then as soon as I you know, opened up. Loads of people contacted me saying that they'd had miscarriages too. Um, and some of my close friends then told me that they had miscarriages too. This one woman um, said to me, thank you for sharing and being open because she'd never told anyone and she felt embarrassed wow. about the whole thing. So, Nikki, now you've been through that experience, looking back, what do you think needs to be there for women to support them through uh, a miscarriage that, that currently isn't there or isn't what you experienced? Mm, that's a good question, Emma. Um, I well, firstly, I think just for more people to be open and talk about it. I know that's not for everyone. Some people may want to keep it to themselves because that's their way of dealing with it, and that's absolutely fine. But I, first of all, I just think more openness about it, um, and then I think a slightly better bedside manner from the doctors. <laughs> like I wasn't very impressed with how you know I. I was given no information about the experience of what I was about to go through and the emotional kind of support or anything. I had to sort of Google myself and I found the Miscarriage Association, which, by the way, is amazing. And I was on the phone to them a lot um, throughout it. So that's there as a resource. Um, but, yeah, I think um, just just like this is what you will go through going through miscarriage. This is the kind of emotions that you might experience and this is the, the pain that you're going to experience and this you know and just having support the mistress association actually does do that but i didn't know about it at the time yeah no one um, would direct you there i suppose if it's your first time no. of experiencing it you're not even aware of what resources if that you know not yeah. even on your radar yeah exactly and after it happened how did you feel is it you talked there about it being a level of grief yeah um well, I felt that, that I mean, so many different things. But I felt like somehow get like guilt because maybe I did something. Like I remember actually going out for a run, like for a, 
sort of a jog uh, one day and then I think the miscarriage happened a week later and I thought maybe I'd caused it from running. Um, mm. And so there was guilt and there was um, feeling that I sort of my body had let me down or I was sort of something about not being... An, like, this, this idea I, I failed as a woman um, as well. Like, why couldn't I just go on and naturally produce the baby like seemingly everyone else had done you know um so yeah lots of lots and lots of feelings and then I had another miscarriage actually a second miscarriage about four months later and it that wasn't um didn't hit me as hard because I'd sort of already been through it but I was um the second miscarriage was very early I was like two or three weeks in whereas the first one I was 10 weeks in I was really excited about it you know and I didn't have time to get as excited for the second one. Um, but I think also I, I went on, I thankfully now, I love, you know, um, by the grace of God or whatever, I, I have now got a baby. I had my third time I um, uh, got pregnant and then I um, had my baby and she's now nearly four months old. And But going through the pregnancy, I just felt the most incredible amount of fear that, I, that something would go wrong. It was, it was really, it, the, the impact of my first miscarriage lasted a good two years of just really thinking about it a lot, all the time. Um, so, yeah. And then and my husband as well, you know, he had his own, it was just very, very sad. I remember the day we found out and I asked him to write a little letter with me to, to our little twins um, to say goodbye and thank you for coming. And it was just, it was really, actually makes me cry now a little bit. Um, yeah. Oh, Nikki. Both of us too. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, darling. Is there mm. any advice that you would want other women in that situation to know? Is there anything you'd want to tell them? Mm. Um it's very common. <laughs> Miscarriages are very, very common. Um, there's nothing wrong with you. There could be. You'll never really know the reason as to why you miscarried. You, you'll, you may never know, and don't blame yourself. Um, and look, look to support. Um, my my suggestion, if you can, would be to talk talk about it um, <laughs> openly, and, and yeah. go to the miscarriage association to get some support from them. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on, telling us that story and mm. sharing it with us. It's very powerful. Um, that's Nikki Armitage from Electric Woman. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Adam. Uh, we also have on the line Vicky from Croydon, who's had a similar experience. Hello, Vicky. Hi there. Hi. Very similar, except it wasn't twins. And I kind of semi-know or believe I know why I miscarried, which yeah. kind of makes it a little bit tougher in terms of the guilt aspect that your previous caller talks about. Yeah. Um, what happened in, to you? in 2013, I went shopping, and whilst out shopping, I tripped in a shop. Um, I broke several ribs, I oh. broke my arm, had a head injury, wrist injuries, hand injury. I was pretty banged up, basically. Um, it was in a bit of a state. Um, at the time, I knew there was a possibility that I was pregnant. Um, so when the ambulance was called and I was taken to A&E, um, I told them that I thought there was a very good chance that I was pregnant. And um, I remember having a conversation with the paramedics 
on the way to the hospital and they were saying let's do a sweet take on whether or not you're pregnant because it was you know it was you know it was all in very good humor but the one thing i remember whilst i was having the whilst i was falling over was oh my god oh my god oh my god i might be pregnant this is awful this is awful and i remember laying on the floor after i'd fallen and my only thought was to the potential pregnancy not that i'd just broken a load of bones or anything like that it was just it was um oh my god what you know what if this is it and you know what if what if i've um done something to the to the potential baby i just knew i was pregnant that that's the only way i can describe it i just knew that i was pregnant and i was concerned um by the accident so i went to the hospital they treated me as if i was pregnant but the one thing that they didn't do um was treat me like i was pregnant in terms of the advice of the medication that i should take um one thing you really shouldn't take when you're early in the early stages of pregnancy is um, Diclofenac, which is a anti-inflammatory. Okay. Um, in fact, you shouldn't take any sort of non- non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication whilst you're pregnant. Um, and the, the doctor advised me to take Diclofenac um, for the pain associated with broken bones, um, which I did, and subsequently found out I was pregnant. Um, I mean, I was ecstatic when I found out I was pregnant, purely because I really didn't think that I would it would continue if I'd had this massive accident. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't sound like a big accident because I only fell over, but the injuries were ridiculous yeah, <laughs> for, awesome. for, the, for, for what I actually did. Um, I, I, just rem- I just remember just not being able to believe it that I had actually sustained the pregnancy. Um, anyway, for the, for the week rolling on after that, I took pregnancy test after pregnancy test, trying to convince myself that, I was definitely pregnant. I had hyperemesis as well. I suffer yeah. from hyperemesis with all of my pregnancies, and this was no exception. Hyperemesis was, is sorry. It's it's basically when you have severe um, morning. Sickness. Well, it's more. It's not right. morning. Yeah, sickness, but it's, it's all severe day. vomiting and mm-hmm. nausea. Yeah. Um, I, this pregnancy was no exception, um, and I remember on the Monday evening. Um, the, the miscarriage happened on the Tuesday, and on the Monday evening, I remember having mild cramping, and the nausea had disappeared, and it rang complete alarm bells with me. And um, I googled furiously. I think I even called the out-of-hours doctors. I've been trying to get an appointment with my GP to get some reassurance about the accident and the possibility that it could harm the baby, and um, I couldn't get an appointment with my GP. Um, but I woke, like I said, I, I went to bed thinking something's not right. Um, I woke up about five o'clock in the morning and everything was fine. I felt sick again. Um, then I fell back to sleep and then I woke up about seven in the morning and I was miscarrying. Oh. Um, I called the out-of-hours um, doctor and said, I'm bleeding and I'm pregnant. Um, went to the out-of-hours doctors and there was nobody there to see me. So I had to go down to the A&E department and... Um, I, by that point, I was bleeding quite heavily and cramping, and it was awful. Um, and I was also vomiting. So I spent about an hour waiting in the waiting room to be seen by the doctor. And at that point, my pregnancy test was still positive. Um, so there was some hope that, I was, that it was going to be okay. Yeah. Um, but in between being seen by the, the casualty doctor and being sent to the early pregnancy unit... Um, somewhere in between that time, um, I must have gone into complete miscarriage because by the time I got to the 
um, early pregnancy unit, my pregnancy tests were negative. Um, and the one thing that really angers me is they told me that in the middle of a corridor. Um, there was no sort of um, sensitivity yeah. or empathy at all. Um, the same was when they gave me my blood results over the phone. There was no empathy there either. Um, there wasn't any support. Um, I've never got any support from it. Um, I looked around my local area to see whether there was anything. Yeah. The only thing I did do was contact the um, Miscarriage Association. Mm. And were they and helpful? They were amazing. And I recommend anybody who's in the position that I was in to talk to them and keep talking to them. Um, you know, if it's two years later and you're still struggling, talk to them. Um, I mean, it's five years on and I still struggle with it. I'm, I'm surprised I got this phone call through this phone call without crying. Um, but it's it's horrible. It's awful. It doesn't go away. Um, you, you go through periods where you think it's gone and then it comes back. And um, it's not like any other loss because you can't, it's not tangible for anybody else except for you. Yeah. You're the only one really that felt it. And, you know, if you've ever been pregnant, you'll know the feeling of pregnancy. Um, and you it's just an awful loss. It's just a horrendous loss that isn't recognised enough, really. And is that what you, you hope will happen, that there is more recognition and there's more support put in place for women um, that have gone through this? Well, one of the things I found really distasteful with my local hospital was that when I was having the miscarriage, I had to wait for two hours to have the blood test done. They said they were going to get one of the obstetricians to come and do it because the um, nurse couldn't find a vein. So they sent me to go and wait outside in the waiting room of the early pregnancy unit with all the other pregnant women. And it's little things like that that are so insensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, And they they, they then refused to get me a wheelchair um, to take me up to the phlebotomy unit because they couldn't do it there. and they said that at first they were saying, no, no, you need to walk. But I'd already almost collapsed in the corridor on the way there. Um, and it was just the, the way the hospital dealt with me was absolutely diabolical. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Um, the only light out of all of this was the Miscarriage Association. They were amazing. Um, I still call them now on the anniversary of the miscarriage because every year it comes around and it affects me. And um, they're always so incredibly kind and helpful and make me feel like I'm not going completely crazy mm. um but yeah other than that I've really not had any support not even from my own GP really um I had a second one I had a um a thing called a chemical pregnancy yeah. um but like Nikki the previous caller said it didn't affect me in quite the same way mm. yeah it happened um I accepted it for what it was and I moved on but the first one I'm riddled with guilt over because there's lots of things I feel I could have done that could have changed it Oh, um, no. Yeah, thing. It, <laughs> it's it's horrible. It's and I, you know, I just want to hug any woman that's ever been through it, um, because I think just like I said, it's a horrible kind of loss because nobody else can see it. Mm. Thank so, you so much for sharing your story with us tonight. Yeah. We really appreciate it, and we want to give you a hug. <laughs> oh, um, thank you. And you know, I just I really feel that actually just by sharing that, there's almost certainly a woman out there who is feeling like she is not alone right now mm-hmm. and it's not just her so. so thank you so much vicky i really so appreciate you coming in t- and talking to us tonight thank you if you're looking for plump lips that last you need to know about juvederm lip fillers 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour Excel on Talk Radio. Now, did you know there is a massive investment gender gap? So apparently, the average 65-year-old woman retires on £35,800. Now, how much more do you think men retire on? How many times more? Uh, ooh, I'm going to say four or five times more. It's pretty spot on, my darling. Five times more men retire with. Mm. Uh, it's 150000 isn't it, mm. roughly? Look at that maths. Yes. <laughs> Didn't get a GCSE in maths for nothing. <laughs> Here to tell us why that is, we've got Davinia Tomlinson, founder of the new app Raincheck in the studios. Welcome, Davinia. Nice to see you. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, so why is why have we got this gender investment gap? What is that all about? Well, I think there are a couple of issues. Um, I think the gender pay gap is something that we're all familiar with. Um, You can hardly turn on the TV these days without reading about the gender pay gap. Um, And of course, it stands to reason that if you um, have less disposable income to save and invest, then obviously that will have an impact on the gender investing gap as exists today. I think another issue is the fact that women, despite being very diligent savers, you know, the, the behaviour already exists in terms of our ability to put money away for a rainy day or for later life. When we do save, we tend to put our money into cash. Now, in a low interest rate environment that, like we've had in the UK and globally um, for a number of years, the impact of your savings in a, in a cash vehicle is likely to be less than in stocks and shares over a long term period of time. Um, I think the other thing to say, particularly on the, the fact of the gender pay gap is the fact that 
a significant chunk, and I don't know the numbers, but a significant chunk of that gender pay gap is attributed to motherhood. So, you know, lots of women who return to the work workforce after having kids tend to do so part time, um, or they might choose to have an extended career break, for example. And of course, that again would have a knock on effect on your disposable income and therefore your propensity to invest for later life. And how is Raincheck going to change this for us? Well, Raincheck, you know, my, my vision for Raincheck is to promote financial inclusion. And by that, I mean thinking about how to get more women to invest through a very simple three pillar business model. And that provides financial education on the basis that women, when we do invest, um, we are very competent in investing. So there is data that shows that we outperform men when we do by up to one percent. Um, but what we do need to do is to improve some of the engender some confidence around investing and to really give women a toolkit so the knowledge and information to do so confidently. So financial education will be a big part of the offering. Um, financial advice. So I always liken it to um, you know, any situation in which you'd like to be left in um, a better place at the end than you started. So transforming your body, for example, you'd get a personal trainer. Finances, I think, is the one area that, you know, people still have a mental block to paying for financial advice on the basis that it seems counterintuitive to pay money to make money. But actually seeking out the advice of a professional is absolutely the way to go. So financial advice delivered via video conference to promote that accessibility and inclusion, which is a big part of the vision, um, is another part of the offering. And then the third part of it is events. So delivering holistic wellness events. And by that, I mean, not just focused on mindfulness and meditation, but also thinking about financial health as a conduit to, you know, everything else that we want to do in life. So they'll be hosted nationally, wherever our rainmakers exist, um, and will basically be an opportunity to for people to bring along a plus one. So we don't have that awkward networking situation where you enter into a room and you don't know anybody. Um, but actually, it's just really nice mm -hmm. surroundings and that you will feel inspired and uplifted at the end of those events and motivated to do something different in your life. What age are you uh, targeting? Because I, I hear you in terms of the the investment. I've heard about like compounding, which is basically if I'd invested a lot more money in my twenties, <laughs> I'd be reaping the rewards right now, and I'm not. Uh, and there's always that sort of challenge between you know um, wanting to invest and put some money aside, but actually wanting to live your life to the full. When there's a bit of like, well, I'm only young. If I put away some money now, who knows if I'm even going to make it to retirement? Yeah. What age would you, in a perfect world, would you see women start? investing their money that's a really good question and you're absolutely right there is that whole yolo thing about yeah. not deferring <laughs> yeah. happiness yeah. Um, avocados or pension <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. and I think you know certainly when it comes to something like pension savings I think the early so from your first job so I think you know for people that go to university their first job out of university it's so a 21 or 22 if there is a workplace pension I would start saving into that straight away um, but the other thing that I would say is that there's no you know, it's never too late to start as well. I think, you know, particularly when we hear these statistics around, you know, the average 65-year-old woman retiring with £35,000. And if you're, you know, somebody that might be later in life than a 22-year-old, you might think, oh, well, it's too late for me. I better not, you know, there's no point in me doing anything at all. I think absolutely there's always an opportunity to transform your fortunes. Um, and again, that's where, you know, soliciting the advice of a professional can really help. And what do you think as well? We talked about this on the show. I feel like women are bombarded with things to waste their money on. If I look at how much money is sitting in my wardrobe in terms of stuff, 
I, but I feel like men, all the things that men can buy kind of like increase in value, like the watches they buy or the wine, like there's minimal things that they can spend their money on. And I feel like women get bombarded with just stuff to buy. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought this up because <laughs> honestly, it's something that I'm so passionate about. So I have a marketing background. So I'm always really interested in, you know, different marketing campaigns um, for different products and services and it's so apparent that the communications that are pushed out to men and women differ so significantly um, in the language that's used so of course let's focus specifically on finance for example when you look at um, magazines that are targeting women they tend to focus on budgeting or how to make the most of your shopping bill and how to save you know money you know shop move from a cardo to aldi for example and then you can buy that handbag or buy those pair of shoes whereas for men it's thinking about how to outperform the stock market and invest your money into google or apple for example i think the language around investing needs to change and that needs to start from an industry-wide level in terms of making sure that it's neutral okay well, we're going to keep talking to Vinod about money and how to make the most of it here on badass women's hour excel the vampire strikes back badass women's hour excel on talk radio and we are also joined by Davinia Tomlinson, uh, founder of the new money app for women rain check emma asked a very good question about do we just bombard women with messages to buy junk essentially we've just had black friday if you are being kind of got at from every single angle every time you turn on your computer another 20 ads are popping up for things you once vaguely glanced at how do we start to resist some of this temptation is this and start thinking about better things we should do with our money i think um one of the things that we can do, I mean, we're such big consumers of social media, for example. I think women are the biggest consumers of Instagram. Um, one of the things that I personally started to do at the start of this year was to really forensically analyse my my following list. Um, so rather than looking at all of these fashion influencers that are basically, you know, pushing out ASOS ads or Fashion Nova and all of these different brands, instead to follow people that are focused on positive mindset, who are focused on making really positive money moves, for example. And there are a lot of money influencers that I think we're able to follow that can help us to engender some of those behavioural changes that we need. And there's something that you did that you probably didn't know you, know you did. Um, you posted on Twitter that eighty percent of eighty seven percent of Black Friday deals are cheaper at other times of the year. Yes, yeah. is that and true? I, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, I am wish. buying absolutely <laughs> nothing. Oh, brilliant! And it's, it, it literally stopped me from yeah. going online and just having a little a little nose at what might yeah. be cheaper because I was like, but it probably is cheaper at another point in the year because they probably put the price up and then reduced it and then told me that it's now a deal and it actually wasn't a deal and I've started reading the small print on TV ads you know when it says bank holiday sale and it says it was originally this price and but it was this price before and then it was this price yeah. and now we made it this price and you realize that actually it was cheaper before they put the price up and then put the price down for sale so thank you very much for for doing that <laughs> um that that helped me massively do you think that we need to start much younger when talking about money and what we spend our money on and and saving is it almost too late once you get to your 30s no never too late 
Okay. Never too late, but but you're absolutely right. I do think that there's there is something to be said for starting as early as you possibly can. So I know I made the point about you know obviously investing into a pension and you know from your as early as you possibly can in your first job, for example, out of university if you go to university. But I think even before that, there's an opportunity for children in school. It needs to be part of the curriculum, thinking about and of course there's a place for all of the other subjects. But there has to be something about real life skills and budgeting, money management, all of those things absolutely need to be. That's that's what really annoys me about school. All the things I learnt in maths, all the algebra that I've and never ever used. Could I work out what was the best mortgage? No, it took my dad to do the calculations. <laughs> yeah. And even getting a mortgage, you look at the calculations and you think, oh, that's a good deal. My dad's like, well, that's not a good deal because when you do that and pay that over X amount, you're going to be paying more than you are on that deal that look more expensive. And exactly. I was like, I wouldn't have even mm. known. I would have just gone, oh, that's a cheap one. And, you know, without luckily enough having my dad to look at that. And I, it just... It really annoys me. Even things like, um, you know, when you're offered credit cards, for example, and they have the zero percent. So lots of us think, oh, we'll take the zero percent because we're going to pay off that debt within the that period of time. And then you don't. And it kind of flips over mm. into a really astronomical rate. And if you're not keeping track of it, then suddenly you find yourself in a hole that you can never dig yourself out of. Because compounding, of course, works in the same way, but in reverse. So if you're investing, compounding is awesome because it means, you know, the rate of return is exponential over a period of time. Just explain compounding for some of our listeners. So compounding is basically where interest is earned on the interest as well. So let's say, for example, if you've invested... um, a simp- on a simple interest basis, if you've invested £10,000 at a rate of 5%, for example, then that means you've earned... I'll make you do my like maths live. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't a good move. I know. Um, <laughs> but- £500. So £500 each year. So let's say three years, 10%, uh, 5% interest, then that's the same. You get the same amount in each year. On a compound basis, you'll get interest on top of the interest each year right. so of course that means that the return is generated at a much faster rate over and a period that's of time. longer term so anything that you've been investing that's like over say 10 years that's when the compounding really starts to pay off is it exactly or, yeah okay and i think with all investing it pays to, to hold the investment over a long-term period of time it's really interesting because i actually looked at compounding in terms of service charges on my flats mm. they put the service charge up by 10 percent last year and I worked out that if they kept doing that, basically, at some point, I was going to end up paying them half a million quid a year. And I emailed them and I was like, this is ridiculous. You know, even if I didn't live to this age and I'd left the flat to the peop- to my, I don't know, dog, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you're never going to be able to sell it on this basis. And we're not... When I did that, what was really astonishing to me was that I'd never thought about that in terms of my own saving. Mm. <laughs> so I analysed it and worked it out in intense detail in the amount I was spending. But when I looked at it, I was like, oh, actually, if I just did, it's not a huge amount of money. If I did that amount of money on this return for 30 years, mm-hmm. I'm retiring You're very winning. nicely. Exactly. Yeah. Why do you think, um, why do you think women are more hesitant to invest than men why are we why are we less inclined to gamble our money i guess i think it's you know there's a lot of noise in the media at the moment that says that women are risk averse which i don't necessarily believe from speaking to you know friends and family and even women that i spoke to as part of the research when i was developing rain check i think it's just that we are much more diligent in terms of our research process so we're not you know there's not a flight of women rushing into bitcoin for example because it seems like a gamble um i think we're just more 
careful in terms of where we put our money because there are real things that we might be saving and investing for. Um, Are there things you should be looking for when you're thinking about investing? I think, you know, it's really important that you you might want to look at the manager, for example, the track record Mm. of the investment manager that you might be putting your money with. Um, I also think it's important that you think about what your particular goals are. So, for example, you might have short-term goals, which might be to save a deposit for a house. Therefore, it would stand to reason that you wouldn't put your money into something that would lock you down for a really long period of time. Um, I think, you know, it might be that, you know, dependent on your age, that will have an, Im- an impact on the asset class that you might choose. And by asset class, I mean the difference between equities and bonds. So let's say you've got a long time horizon within which to invest, for example, you might be more willing to take a punt on the stock market and therefore put your money into equities on the basis that you can recoup any losses over a period of time. Whereas if you are closer to retirement age, then you're less inclined to put your money into something that be a bit riskier um, and therefore you might want to put your money in bonds and cash for example that can deliver a regular and relatively stable rate of return over a period of time but you need to know what those things mean to be able to make exactly the, the decision one of the things that I've started to do is set up pots of money and so money that I save and the money that I'm fine and happy to spend as opposed to just having a pot that is spend and as soon as I did that, it changed everything. So I know what I'm saving. And then I've got a pot that I'm saving for a holiday. And then if I want to buy something indulgent, there's a pot. But it just removes the anxiety. And actually really taking ownership of money just changes everything. Because it never feels like there's a lack. And it's never about wanting more. It's just working with what I've got. I did that for a while though, but I was the world's worst pot juggler. I was like, well, I'm just going to borrow from this pot into that pot for a little bit and then I'll put it back in. But it's the, it's, the, it's the behaviours, right, of actually just yes. owning your yeah. relationship with, with your money. That is the first part of, of any Agreed. of this journey and not feel it. If you get over the thing of not feeling like you have enough, then you'll be willing to invest it. Exactly. Because you're removing the, the risk. Yeah. And, and I think that's a big part. Amazing how you just spend what you have. Like earlier this year, you know, I started off the year quite tight for money because my business didn't do very well last year. And I've got a financial advisor and she was like, right, I want you to put extra amount in here to be paying off your mortgage. I was like, I can't, mm. you know, and I, and I just decided that I was going to have that direct debit go out. And I was like, right, if I need the money, it's in a ISA, mm. I can get it back. And actually, I haven't missed that money mm. at all. But mm. I, in my head, I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do without that cash this year. Mm-hmm. And now that's, you know, those little and often amounts have really added up over the year and I haven't really missed it. So you you just have to bite the bullet and yeah. get so those direct debits going. If there is one thing you would like everyone listening to do after this, what would be the first step towards taking a more responsible attitude to your money? I think... Oh, if there's one thing. Yeah. Can I have two? You can have two. Go on. <laughs> okay. Okay, so the first thing Compounding. Is, <laughs> I think the first thing is um, before you take any decision around saving and investing to look at your debt and to see whether, you know, if, if you've got debt that's in something that's charging you a really high interest rate, clear that down immediately um, or as quickly as you possibly can. I think the second thing is if you've got all of your money saved in cash and you don't need it within the next two to three years, for example, I would consider moving it into stocks and shares. So there are a a number of different stocks and shares ISAs available and I would consider researching those. Brilliant. And you can, if you want to help with that research, go and download the RainCheck app. Thank you so much, Davinia Tomlinson, founder of RainCheck. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. 
If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.